Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello and welcome to Talk Sports Game Day Podcast with me Sam Matterface Talk Sports Alex Crook and former Chelsea defender Scott Minto Brighton and Manchester City play out a terrific draw despite the fact that there wasn't really anything to play for but in their 122 year history they've never been to Europe before Brighton as it's certainly going now they're off to the Europa League all eyes on the bottom of the table as we go into the final weekend of the Premier League season. Leeds, Leicester and Everton fighting it out for the last two remaining spots in the top flight. Gareth Southgate has named his England squad for the summer, including a first call-up for Eberichi Ezer. And the battle to sign Chelsea midfielder Mason Mount is hotting up. We'll discuss his future in three Premier League sides looking to capture his signature. It's all on the Game Day podcast and it's from TalkSport. Hello, Crookie. Good morning, Scott. Hello. How are we? Everyone all yeah, right? Yeah, nice of you to join us, mate. Sam, do you know what? Yeah, do you know what? Fine. Can I just say, um, I think you're an absolute one of the best broadcasters in the business and not just football, you know, and not just radio, Stop TV. It. What's the matter? What you, do you want? You, you have gone up. You're not up. getting out of the dinner. You have gone. No, no, no. I'll, I'll pay for that. You have gone up even more in my estimation. Literally, 60 seconds or maybe two minutes ago, you were fast asleep, snoring your head off. And now you're... <laughs> And now here you are, sounding as if you're right as rain. You've been prepping for this for the last hour. Uh, the alarm didn't go off this morning. I got up to do a, um, a little hit with the breakfast show guys this morning. And then uh, I fell back to sleep. And it was only when the producer, Jeremy, phoned me that I jumped out of bed like a star, started my laptop. And that was, as you say, literally about three minutes ago. So let's see how this goes. Um, Brighton against Manchester City last night. I was there. And it was terrific. And do you know what? I mean, listen, we were there until very late last night because we were waiting for Tony Bloom. But what a terrific interview that was. He was brilliant. He was he was so open about the football club. And what I thought was 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 amazing, really, was the way he sort of rather candidly said, yeah, do you know what? Some of our best players will leave. And that's what happens. And we've got to make sure we're ready to replace them. And we've got to be uh, equipped to go in to the Europa League and the Premier League next season. I said, do you think you'll have the tools to be able to compete on both fronts? And Crook, he said, oh, we'll be okay. We'll, we'll have the tools to, to compete. And it was just that sort of confidence that he had just made me think, God, this is a club that's gone in, in, in such a great direction over the last sort of seven or eight years. I mean, 12 years ago, they were in League One. Amazing. And, and also, it was, I think, quite telling that Pep Guardiola was talking up Roberto De Zerbi in the build-up to that game, saying that he's one of the most important coaches in the last couple of decades. I think he looks ready-made to replace Pep at Manchester City when the time comes, De Zerbi. I think he's got to be a massive candidate for that. 
Mm. Well, I'm sure that uh, he will be on the on, on the radar. I mean, he was quite funny last night, actually, uh, Roberto De Zerbi. I asked him uh, what he felt about that comment from Pep, and he said, you know, uh, you know, it's a great honour. I think he's the best manager in the world, so it's great. And then they were hugging each other at every opportunity, and they couldn't stop laughing and joking on the sidelines. And all I could think of is, because De Zerbi's quite a fiery character, imagine if Brighton really needed the points here, or City really needed the points here, and Haaland's goal got disallowed the way it did, and that penalty had been given the other way. And it, it, I don't think the atmosphere would have been as uh, cordial, that's for sure, because they're both winners, Scott. Absolutely, mate. And um, I, I wasn't sure before the game. I wasn't actually able to watch it. So I was listening to you, Piercy and, and Aid, and um, I wasn't sure what type of game you get because, you know, both teams, really, there was nothing on it. So you, you either get like a testimonial type game, a bit what we saw with City-Chelsea at the weekend, or you see two teams just mm. with nothing to lose, just absolutely go for it. And do you know what? I think it just rep- reflects them, the managers. And you're absolutely right. If there was something on it and, you know, those sort of decisions have been made, could you imagine De Zerbi? I think it would be even even more... Um, don't use the word Larry, but certainly over the top than, than Pep would be. In terms of the actual comment, I think Pep was trying to be really nice because he knows he's the best. He's looking down on everyone. You know what I think about Pep Guardiola. I think he's gone over the top about mm. the last 20 years, but I think the next 20 years, who knows about the Zerbi? <laughs> you never know. You never know. I asked him actually last night, Pep, if he, if he felt a sense of pride and he felt as if he had influenced the Zerbi and he just went, No. I went, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's get into the final weekend of the Premier League. All eyes on the bottom as three sides battle for one spot to remain in the top flight of English football. The clock is ticking. It's now or never for Leicester. You never quite know when it's over with Leeds. Everton in deep, deep trouble at the bottom end of the Premier League. So much to be decided, hearts to be broken. We only have to concentrate on this game, this is our cup final now, and we know what we have to do. We haven't done the job we, we wanted to do. We want to give them that, we want to give them that, we want to give them wins, of course, we want to give them a team that can that can give everything. We're into the final straight, we're off and underway. And Everton have five at the Amex. This has been an extraordinary performance from Everton. They know how to get over the line. Massive, massive moment and Leeds bid to try and avoid relegation. West Ham three, Leeds one. Leeds have won, I don't know, 12 games since Bielsa left. Unbelievable. Leicester's Premier League status is still alive. They have to hope Everton mess up at home on Sunday and they have to beat West Ham. He's took it to the last game now. What we've done is made Everton need to win the game. It will be some final day and it will all unfold on TalkSport. So TalkSport going to be based at Everton. Uh, Adrian Durham will be presenting from there. I'm going to be doing the commentary of the game involving Leicester and West Ham with Scott Minto. Both of us were going to be at the uh, King Power Stadium. And then um, on TalkSport 2, we're going to bring you Leeds against Tottenham Hotspur. We're also going to bring you another batch of games, four other games over the course of uh, Sunday as well on the TalkSport app. So every single possible Angle is covered for you on the final day of the season. It's pretty simple, really. Everton are going to stay in the Premier League if they win their final home game of the season against Bournemouth. Now, if they don't, it becomes more complicated because Leicester then will be favourites to overcome them, but they have to win against West Ham in order to do that. Uh, Leeds need Leicester to lose and Everton to lose in order to remain in the Premier 
league. Um, there's not much chance of that happening, Scott. And when we were sort of discussing in a big sort of round table about what games we should go to, that sort of came into our thinking, actually. Although we wanted to go to, to Leeds, I think, for the atmosphere and because it's almost a dual story, we thought that Leicester had the better chance of surviving. Was that a correct calculation? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to go to Leeds. I think I've said before, I used to love covering Leeds in the Championship when I was at Sky, Ellen Road, special club, special fans. Felt like a not just a, a Premier League game, even though it was a Championship game, but it felt like a top Premier League game whenever I sort of went there. So, And it was also my first game on the EFL uh, on an OB. So I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Leeds, although I shouldn't say that being ex-Chelsea. But absolutely, you know, Leeds, Leeds are snookered. You know, you need Everton and Leicester to, to, to go their way and then them to win. And I'm not 100% sure that, that they can do that, even they're up against a, a really poor Spurs side who still don't know who their manager's going to be for next season. But look, you would imagine that Leicester, West Ham have still got a bit of time. It's not as if the players would be, you know, not wanting to get injured. They you, It's 10 days. You have to make sure that you're kind of on it a little bit, but it will be in the back of their minds at West Ham players about maybe not 100% getting injured. So look, the pressure's on Everton. We spoke earlier in the week about what Dean Smith did. Leicester now just have to win. If they don't win, they deserve to go down. If they do win, it rid and if they get an early goal as well, wow! It, you know that will seep through to Goodison Park. Yeah, it sends the pressure up the 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 M six, the M one, the M six, doesn't it? If they do get an early goal in that game, let's talk about West Ham and how they're going to approach it because we were having a discussion last night. Actually, there was ten days between the final day of the season and the final of the Europa Conference League. Now. Uh, if you speak to any manager about periodization and getting players ready for matches and keeping them fit, the idea of not playing, let's just say they rested all of their key players, that would be a 17-day gap between their final four match and the Europa Conference League. I don't think that's a sensible approach, do you? No, I think Leicester would much prefer the Europa League, Conference League final to be this midweek. Um, and then I think David Moyes, with some justification, would ring the changes. I think there will be a couple of alterations. He's made, what, six and seven in his last two Premier League games. Yeah. But you just don't know what you're going to get from from Leicester. It could be that, that West Ham's understrength team is still good enough um, to beat them. What's fascinating with the Leeds situation now is how much is this turmoil around Arna Slot staying at Feyenoord, how much is that going to affect the Tottenham players? Because just when it looked like they were coming to a definitive conclusion as to who their new manager will be, all of a sudden it's bang up in the air again. So Hold on. We will we'll come back to Tottenham in just a second and the psychodrama that is. Um, but uh, let's, let's concentrate on the West Ham and, and the Leicester situation first of all. Scott, would you bring back Madison to the starting lineup? Because one of the you things that they did on um, Monday night was go for this very defensive, get eight men behind the ball, five defenders, three holding midfield players, and then Kalecchi, Ahianacho and uh, Vardy, up top, that there was no supply line, escape route or ball up to the front man. And when they were trying to clear their lines, they couldn't hold on to it. And Madison actually came on at half time, And it was a little bit different in that they had a little bit more because he can carry the ball further. Mm. So you'd bring him back to the starting lineup, right? But what about Barnes? What about the other creative players and, and the approach? Look, they can't play for a clean sheet. No, 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 no. It's going to be completely different. There were, that was a job for uh, the Newcastle game at St. James's Park, who have blown teams away this season. 
And and it's probably just as well, I think, for Leicester that, that Newcastle only needed a point because they had plenty of chances, but I think they would have gone up another half a gear, if not a full gear, if they'd have really needed all three points. No, have to bring Madison back, have to bring Barnes back. You have to get the right balance because that's fair. Let's be, let's be honest about it. That was the first clean sheet since the World Cup. But they have to win this game. If you don't win this game, then you are down. It's as simple as that. So, again, it's a game about 90 minutes. You can't just go gung-ho. But if you haven't got your attacking creative players on the pitch, you can't create those chances. You've got no chance. So it mm. will be a very attacking side, I'm sure. It does come across so remarkably that when you look back at the, uh, the statistics over the course of the season, if you go pre-World Cup, up until the World Cup, Leicester City had a top four attack in terms of XG, goals, score, created chances, etc., etc. But since they are since the World Cup, they've dipped significantly and they've stopped scoring as many goals. But their defence, which was sort of mid-table prior to the start of the World Cup, has become a bottom three defence very quickly. And that's the reason they are where they are. They've conceded so many goals. And that inability to keep a clean sheet has put them into the position where they are now on the final day of the season, needing to win, but also needing somebody else to to to, to drop points as well. I mean, if, if Everton were to draw and Leicester were to win, then they would stay up. So there is there is that sort of little extra caveat in the mind of of those at Goodison Park. But if you're if you're Dean Smith now, this is one of those days, Nick. Crook, where you pull the handbrake off and you go, go on, you need to score as many goals as possible. You need to win this game. Well, yeah, because anything less and, and they're down. So Madison has to come back in. I think Barnes has to come back in. I think, as Scott said, it has to be a very different game plan. I think it's going to be a brilliant afternoon. It reminds me a little bit, Sam, of when we were working in, in local radio in, in 2005 and you were at the Hawthorns as West Brom, I think, became the first team to be bottom at Christmas and survive in the Premier League, beat Portsmouth. Southampton, who were favourites to stay up heading into that final day, ended up being relegated. And I think over the course of the afternoon, pretty much everybody who could go down at one stage or another found themselves in the bottom three. And I can see a similar scenario Mm. because I think you can easily make a case for Leeds, Leicester and Everton all to win. And you can easily make a case for Leeds, Leicester and Everton all not to win. And that's what's so fascinating. This is why they are where they are. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, That that game was really interesting, apart from the fact that um, West Brom didn't beat Portsmouth. Portsmouth just let them beat them. It was one of those days where they (laughs) knew that if they lost, Southampton would go down. They were like, yeah. There was a massive party in uh, uh, the Black Country after that because the West Brom fans and the Portsmouth fans actually both come onto the pitch, met in the middle, and all started hugging one another. (laughs) Amazing. And, and and we mentioned, you know, that there's all kinds of different scenarios at play here. The Bournemouth fans, are they going to Goodison Park really wanting to win the game? We mentioned in the podcast earlier in the week, the rivalry between those two clubs. What I do know is Gary O'Neill really wants to win this game. He doesn't want four successive defeats at the end of the season. Mm. And doesn't look like Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be fit. Everton not hopeful that he'll be available. No, he's not going to. Where are, the, where are the goals coming from? Well, they've got no full-backs and they've got no forward. Yeah, just to finish on the Leicester one... Look, look, he has to win the game. He has to play attacking players. But don't forget, they have been that rubbish defensively where if you're going to concede two goals, you need three to score. So it's not a question Mm. of just say, right, go all out and go and attack and go for it. Because if you concede the first one, you've got to score two. Suddenly the pressure feels too heavy. So there's a balance to it. But what he's going to say, Dean Smith, is 
to a Madison, to a Barnes, to to whoever. But not Jamie Vardy. I think Jamie Vardy should just stay up there, whatever, because you're absolutely spot on, Sam. The ball was going going back up and there was no one there. You have to defend. You have to try and have that clean sheet mentality that we had on Monday, but then try and get the forward going, go, uh, go forward when you can. But I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Everton by Leicester getting that point now. It's at home. You imagine what the fans would be. They've not been great at home. And we've been talking about when Sean Dyche comes in, it's the home form that's, that's going to do it. And they have lost at home as well. If Leicester get, do get that early goal, I'm telling you now, I agree with Crookie completely. I think at one point in the afternoon, all three will, will look like they're going down. But we'll have to wait and see who can handle the pressure. That's what it's all about now, the mentality. Okay, score prediction then for Leicester against West Ham. Let's do that one. Crook, what are you going for? I think West Ham will win. Leicester 1, West Ham 2. I'm going to go Leicester 2, West Ham 2. Scott? Well, I was going to go Leicester 2, West Ham 1. But I I wouldn't be surprised the way the season's gone that Everton may well draw and Leicester won't win. But but look, I'll stick with it. (laughs) Leicester 2, Everton 1. Okay. Uh, Leeds against Spurs is on TalkSport 2. Spurs, the epitome of a side waiting for the season to end. But based on Leeds' performance against West Ham, they don't look capable of taking advantage. Bamford, Rodrigo, major doubts. Scott, where do they get their goals from? Well, again, I, you know, we talk about sort of going for it and attacking. and The Leicester mentality I think is a little bit different to, to Leeds I think this big Sam will still be hammering home try and keep that clean sheet when you haven't got those type of players uh fit then you've got to go on the likes of uh, cl- um, make sure you keep the clean sheet go for the set pieces try and play with that high intensity the problem with Leeds is even if they get an early goal you can't trust them to hold on to it you know so I've got a sneaking suspicion that that Leeds might be the only side not to get all three points here, and which would be disappointing. Right? I'd like them to win, even if they do go down, but I can't see them doing it. So they are going to go down, in your opinion, um, and it looks as if they're going to be a complete change of events behind the scenes because the owner, Andrea Radrizzani, about to take over Sam Dorio. He's removed any affiliation with Leeds on his social media. It looks like the takeover will happen this summer regardless. Are they doing this thing where they're going to announce a takeover the minute or the day after they've been relegated uh, from the Premier League, Alex, in order to try and sort of soften the blow for those Leeds fans that are going to be incredibly upset after waiting so long to get back into the Premier League? They've shot themselves in the foot at every single junction. And you know, I was going back again, you know, that Crystal Palace game, that Crystal Palace game, mm. that they were almost safe had they had won that game. They were almost done. It was finished. But since then, they have collapsed like a pack of cards. It's where the season unraveled. Uh, and it was incredible because they, they were brilliant for 40 minutes in that game. And you thought, well, this appointment of Javi Grazia is, is working out quite nicely. And They've absolutely capitulated ever since. I think without the players that you mentioned, and I know Tottenham are in disarray, and maybe that's a, a separate section of the podcast, but I still think Spurs will be too strong. You know, you can see Harry Kane scoring again. And I, again, I think Leeds will probably lose the game. In terms of the takeover, I think a lot of Leeds fans now will be quite relieved because you look at the way the club has been run since Bielsa went. And I'm not one of these who thinks that sacking Bielsa w- was the wrong decision. I think it was the right decision at the time, but it's the decisions they've made since then that have cost them and will ultimately cost them their Premier League status. So I think a change of ownership will be 
very well received. And yeah, probably there will be a statement soon after their relegation is confirmed. New owner, new director of football, new manager, new squad next season. It'll be very difficult to get them ready and set for a promotion push off the back of that in such a, a short space of time. So if they do end up perishing, and I think you know that it looks like that is the most likely scenario that Leeds will be relegated, it's going to be a fascinating summer for their supporters. Um, should we have a quick prediction for this one? I think Spurs will win. I think they have too much firepower. Leeds will score 3-1, Tottenham. Scott? I, I do think that that will be a little bit even, or should I say even more deflating for Spurs, but I still don't think Leeds will win. I'm going for a draw here, 1-1. I'm going to go for a Leeds victory by two goals to one. Um, let's see what happens. All right. Um, Everton against Bournemouth. Don't forget, we will come back to the Tottenham situation. We know it's a big situation. We will definitely, definitely reflect on it in just a moment because Crook is chomping at the bit to get his teeth into this. Uh, Everton against Bournemouth. Uh, Toff is in pole position. They've got the most winnable fixture on paper. I mean, I don't really see how that works. I think the Tottenham game's the most winnable one on paper. But anyway, that's just me. Um, but Bournemouth have lost their last few matches since they were safe, Scott. And I suppose that's why people think, look, Everton at home in the cauldron that is Goodison Park, having to win to save themselves against a team that have been safe for a while are in bad form, look, it's got to be them, hasn't it? But this Premier League season has taught us so many times, don't take anything for granted. Absolutely. I, I, look, you know, and in, in one sense, is it a shame that, you know, the title's been sorted and it looks like, you know, pretty much the top four's been sorted and um, we at one point we had nine teams possibly being relegated or three of nine. I think we've had an incredible season. And actually... The jeopardy of relegation. I remember you and I were at Bournemouth, uh, Brentford last year and Leeds were able to stay up. That feeling of... We always go where the story is. We always go where the story absolutely. is. Absolutely. But that that feeling of possible relegation is the worst feeling in the world. So we're coming into this now. Everton will be feeling it. Everyone's saying they're at home. The fans great. The fans are great. They're incredibly passionate and powerful. But sometimes that can be debilitating as well for the players and we've seen that in the season I'm telling you now we all know Gary O'Neill he will be absolutely desperate to not get another defeat and finish with four defeats um, after what has been sensational for him to keep them up so he will have them training this week and ready in the warm-up for a proper game. Now, it's down to the, the player's mentality. No one wants to get injured last game of the season. You don't want to be in the physio room when you could be on the beach but I'm telling you now, the it's all about Everton here in that sense, where can they handle the pressure? And without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where do the goals come from? You know, so again, they're going to be have to be difficult to beat. Make sure you keep, a, um, you know, that, that sort of clean sheet, set pieces. But if they don't score in the first half and they goes into the second half, and especially if Leicester are winning, that's going to get even more nervy. And I think this could be really exciting towards the end of the game. And speaking to those inside the Everton camp, there is a nervousness in the build-up to this fixture. There is a feeling of, of trepidation. But at the same time, I think Sean Dyche has got the ability to inject that sort of process, that belief that if you follow this plan, you will get through it. And a lot of people are very good at taking that on board. Um, I actually think this is going to be slightly easier for Everton than we probably think. Because I think what will happen is, and I'm just guessing here, I actually think they'll get in front really early and it'll be 
a a reasonable day for them. I think it's not going to be the nervy, nail-biting day. I think they'll turn it on the best they can. I know that they've got no Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but ultimately they've still got creative players there. Um, and I think that your Dwight McNeils and your uh, Damari Gray, your Abdullah Dekore, your Ananas are going to step up and they are going to produce a performance that will drag them in to the... Could have done what I'm doing that a little bit earlier, Sam. I totally agree with you. And I do actually think to myself, right, if they do do it, is it actually prolonging the problems at Everton? I know there's talk of a takeover that could happen this week or certainly they've gone into exclusivity, haven't they? So it could happen over the next few weeks. But ultimately, are, are we not just kicking the can further down the road? And have they not been doing that for the last few years? Do they need that sort of cultural reset where they go back to the championship and then try and rebuild from there? Look, Ultimately, if you run a football club, no is the answer. You do not want to do that because the last thing you want to do is spend any time, money or effort trying to get out of the championship and struggling to do it. But I just wonder, you know, you look at, I mean, Burnley's a sort of prime example. It doesn't happen very often that, by the way, that someone goes down and comes straight back up. It's not a, it's not a, not a given by any chance. Uh, but so you just wonder whether or not actually you might end up prolonging some of the agony with all those players that are still going to stick around because you're still Premier League players. Whereas if you go to the Championship, more people want to leave and they do need to cleanse that dressing room and really start again, I think, Crook. Yeah, but financially it's a nightmare for Everton if they go down with a new stadium with, with so many players on, on big wages and very few sellable assets. So I think I get where you're coming from, but I think for them a reset won't benefit in the same way it will Southampton, for example. You mentioned Everton turning it on. I was just flicking through there, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Only once this season have they scored more than one goal at home in a Premier League game. That was against Palace when they beat them by three goals to nil. So they might need the clean sheet um, to win this game. And set pieces are going to be so important without Calvert-Lewin. I think Dwight McNeil's got a big role to play. And (laughs) again, you know, this, this is a really out there prediction, but I can see someone like Michael Keane up for a corner being the hero. And wouldn't that be ironic? Because, you know, Michael Keane at times this season has been absolutely pilloried by the Everton supporters. If he was to come up and nod home a corner that keeps them in the Premier League, that'd be some redemption story. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling, obviously, when I was thinking about it earlier on, I was thinking Jordan Pickford will score a clinching goal in <laughs> Well, that's gone one step corner. further than me. <laughs> you never know. You've trumped me there. <laughs> right, quick goal scoring prediction uh, from that. Look, what what I would say is you don't want to go down uh, and you, you don't want relegation because for every Vincent company, there, there are many others that's not been the case. It, and it's not easy to get rid of players off your wage bill when they're on that of kind course, of money. Of course, so, But Sean Dyche at the start of his tenure would have taken Bournemouth at home to win, to stay up. Even if Bournemouth needed to win, he'd have taken that. To, so... I think they're somehow going to do it by hook or by crook, but I think it's going to be tight. I'm going to go for a, 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 I'm going to go for a 1-0 Everton win. Are you? Um, I, they, they managed to get a draw with Manchester City. They managed to beat Brighton away from home. They've, they, they've, they've pulled it out of the bag in other matches as well this season. They beat Arsenal at home, for God's sakes. Um, so that they, there is something there. I'm going to go for 2-0 Everton. Crook? 1-0 Everton, Michael Keane with a winner. Okay, wow. all right, let's see what happens. If Michael Keane scores the winner, um, he will be the hero forevermore yeah. at Goodison Park. He did score a terrific goal, didn't he, earlier in the season it's against Spurs. Tottenham. That was 
absolutely outstanding. Uh, all will be reve- revealed on Sunday about who won't be remaining in the Premier League and we'll reflect on it on Monday's pod. Now though, uh, let's take a look at what's happening at Tottenham. Yeah, hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Right, OK, so Tottenham Hotspur um, were pretty certain to appoint a new manager this week. They'd gone down the road with the final boss, but it's becoming a real problem filling this slot, Alex. Certainly is, and I think he's played the slot machine and hit the jackpot because it looks like he's just used Tottenham's interest to get a lucrative new contract at Feyenoord, which is amazing, really. It's uh, two months on Friday. Um, so anyone listening to this podcast on Friday, two months today since Antonio Conte left the club, and it doesn't appear as if they are any closer to finding a successor. And I- so he's definitely not going to take the job. That is the situation as we as we speak at this moment in time. Well, ne- never say definitely when it comes to managers and, and the merry-go-round. But he's come out quite strongly in in, in Holland and said that the conversations that took place this week were never about budgets or transfer targets. It was always about a contract extension. He's heard the rumours, he says, but I'm happy at Feyenoord. So it does appear from the outside looking in that that Tottenham have been played a little bit. But what makes this even more reckless from a Spurs perspective? And listen, you can go after managerial targets and they can turn you down. That's the nature of the beast. But you you knew, Sam, when you spoke to Antonio Conte in that famous interview at Burnley, that he wouldn't be the manager come the start of the 2023-24 season. We all knew that. All right, they didn't plan to sack him when they did after his rant at Southampton. But they should have had a succession plan in place. They should have known who their number one target was. People at Spurs are still insisting they don't have a number one target, like it's some kind of badge of honour. Well, it isn't, is it? Because that's just saying you haven't got a, a definitive game plan. Well, I think I said it on Saturday when we were at Tottenham for the Brentford game, that it's pointless us speculating who's going to be the next manager. Because they don't know. And if they don't know, then what chance have we got of telling you who it's going to be? We have all got ideas of who it should be. But for whatever reason, Tottenham cannot get anybody to be interested enough to get further down the line where they start having proper... They can't even go on a first date with anybody. (laughs) It's a nightmare. They need to get on the football manager version of Tinder and match with someone very quickly, or they need to lower their parameters. I think they're going for that. You know, like when you go on Tinder and you sort of, you put in your ideal person, they've gone a little bit ambitious. So I think they should sort of lower their standards a little bit and try and find someone who's actually going to 
accept the job and 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 swipe left or whatever way it is. I don't know. I haven't used it for a very long time. Um, <laughs> so, what 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 do you do here if you're Daniel Levy? Apart from scream ah and panic, Scott. Yeah, it sounds like they they've, they've been going for Cindy Crawford and might end up with Bella Emberg. I don't know, but. Um... Look, what I would yeah, say... No one knows who they are. I've uh, literally never heard of the 2023. I'm showing, I'm showing my age there. You're lucky I didn't throw out Raquel Welsh. But um, anyway, um, what does he do? Well, I mean, I think Cookie summed it up perfectly. I mean, how can you not have a plan? How can you not have the person... You know, I was in the studio, TalkSport studio with Hugh Wisencroft on Tuesday, and we, we sort of touched on it. And uh, But we also sort of said, look, you know, Arnie Slot's Arnie Slot's going to be there. But actually, will he? Because every manager gets mentioned and then a week later he pulls out. Every manager get, and then the next one comes in and it's going week after week after week. And as much as, I've said this before, as much as Chelsea's been an absolute shambles this season, at least the club and everyone knows in what direction it's going in. You know, Poch is going to be the man. I think he should have gone in before, but he wants to go in um, pretty much at the end of the season. But everyone knows what's happening from now on. You still don't yeah. know with Spurs. This is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And you know you're talking serious when you use the words football club after a team. Because th- this mm. is just not good enough. The best stadium, the best training ground. This is a big, big club in London. And they can't get the right manager. And it seems like they're just going okay. from one to one to one and don't know what they're doing. So so, so let's, let's just think about this carefully then, right? Because they've had Jose Mourinho. They've asked him to come in. It didn't work. They had Antonio Conte and it didn't work. I mean, you say Jose Mourinho didn't work. I mean, okay. I think when you look back at it over the course of uh, the actual season, probably getting to a cup final was quite a major achievement for Spurs in the current context. Sam, of, sorry, uh, sorry, Sam sorry to interrupt. Just just on that, Jose Mourinho, Daniel Levy would, prefer, would have preferred Tottenham to have not won a trophy than Jose Mourinho to win the Carabao Cup for them. Which is why he sacked him. Absolutely, because with respect to Ryan Mason, Jose Mourinho, Ryan Mason, only one winner. So you, what you're basically saying is his problems with Jose Mourinho is so big, or I don't know if that's contractual or, or what. If, if they won the won a cup, he had to. But it gives him too much power if he wins a trophy, doesn't it? And he doesn't want that. And this is the issue, actually, which I think, and this is what I was getting onto, is 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 that Daniel Levy is not prepared to give. Whoever it is who's going to be his head coach, whoever he talks to about the possibility of taking over at Spurs, he's not giving them what they want in terms of power. He's not giving them uh, what they want in terms of budget. And he's obviously not paying them enough. Because ultimately, if you're a human being and you don't get one and two, but someone gives you a massive three, then you probably take it or someone does. The fact is, is that if you think you can do a better job at Feyenoord, where let's be real, the budget is a lot smaller than you can do at Tottenham, then I'm afraid Tottenham have got the problem. Tottenham have got the issue. If you can't convince the Feyenoord manager to be the Tottenham manager in London with that huge stadium where you could get European football at least in the next year or so, why on earth, why on earth... Would you not do that? If you've got all of those things, you're going to make the step up. Yeah, you might want to be in the Champions League with Feyenoord, but ultimately, long-term, money, remuneration, budget, you're going to get more, you think, at Tottenham. If you can't get him over the line, you've got no chance. I'm sorry. I think it's another example of Daniel Levy not being able to get 
proper deals over the line. And how many times has this happened over the years? How many times do you see them, Crook, linked with big players or other big name managers? It always happens. It's always a story. And then they end up with someone who's a substandard or slightly lower calibre. It's tricky. And, and obviously it makes it even trickier, you know, with the likes of Harry Kane. Hugo Lloris, I think, probably has played his last game for Spurs anyway. But there's decisions mm. that need to be made on the future of, of big players, big characters in the dressing room. Still no sign of a, a sporting director being appointed either. So it means they're going into the final day of what's been a, a dreadful season in, in limbo. Um, uh, can I ask and... you a question? Do you think there's any possibility, and I suggested this to you at the time, do you think there's any possibility that Ryan Mason will start next season as Tottenham's head coach? No, because I think there will be candidates out there. I think, you know, surely if you go that far, you have a conversation with Brendan Rogers or, or Graham Potter. But People what's the point of appointing Nuno Espirito Santo, for example, like they did last time, when ultimately Ryan Mason is there? I mean, it, it, to me, it doesn't... It, uh, there's not going to be much difference there. You're not going to appease any fans by doing that, are you? I mean, if you can't find the right coach, are they going to end up defaulting and giving it to Ryan? Well, Brendan Rodgers is a better manager than Ryan Mason. He is, but are they interested in Brendan Rodgers? Say again? Are they interested in Brendan Rodgers? Well, they have been previously, um, so I don't see why they wouldn't be. Again, the same with Graham Potter, although is it too toxic to appoint a, a, a manager who's just fouled at Chelsea with the rivalry between those two teams? I just think you, you look at how they performed under Ryan Mason. I said a few weeks ago, there's a bit more character now, but they're still not winning games, are they? And they still capitulated against Brentford. So I'm not sure that his case is strong enough. Do you know what? I've I've not defended Levy, but I think some of it, not all of it, has been his fault. For example, Sheffield United, changes made. You know, he didn't go out on the pitch. He didn't pick that side. The money that's being made elsewhere, as long as that money's going back into the football club, then that's good business because he they can't compete with the, you know, the state-owned clubs. But when you get, as we've just said about sacking Mourinho just before the final, you know, arguing with with different managers, uh, Conte basically trying to get out, not knowing what's happening. Clearly, Daniel Levy is the problem here. This is there's a common denominator, and look, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Enix going anywhere unless someone comes in with a four or five billion pound bid, and who's going to come and do that? But there's a massive, massive issue going forward. And if Harry Kane decides to stay, I think he will stay one more year because I think Levy can't afford to to get rid of him unless United come in a £100 million bid. It's an absolute shambles. I don't think uh, Ryan has, has done has shown enough to say that he can be there next season. I don't think the impact, and, and it's, we've seen at Chelsea, it's very difficult to turn it around. I, I would go for Brendan Rodgers. Um, but I... I it, it, it's he's, he's about eighth choice. And again, it just shows where the club is at right now. And I'm willing to have a bet with you right now, Sam, for next season that Spurs don't finish in the top four. <laughs> Take it. I won't be taking that bet. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough. Um, God, dear, they've got a lot of soul searching to do, haven't they, Tottenham Hotspur? I feel sorry for the supporters. I was there on Saturday with Scott. Actually, Scott was there as well. And uh, outside the ground, there were huge protests once again about the ownership. And they just, you know, they feel let down. They, you know, they've got all this great stuff going on behind the scenes. They've got a good club. That club has been you know, super famous for many, many years. They were always sort of like, 
if not the top team in London, the second top team in London, it was them or Arsenal. You know, Chelsea have blown that away. But not only Chelsea are blowing that away, you know, West, West Ham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Fulham and Brentford are threatening to, to blow it away at the moment. Do, do, do you know what they need? They needed Poch. That's what they needed. And he wanted to go back as well. Shh, don't, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that, Scott. We've got him now. You're getting rid of the person who the fans want, who I think would be good for the club and will, would be able to go back to exactly the type of relationship. Uh, Obviously, Levy feels uh, that he can't. He's made the right choice, mate. But it's, it's two months now. Even if you decide you don't want yeah. Poch, it's two months that you haven't got anyone in. That is not good enough for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. All the breaking news is on TalkSport and TalkSport.com. Com, um, and if there's any managerial changes or if Spurs actually find someone to take the job, then we will let you know first. Uh, we'll uh, also reflect on uh, the current situation at Spurs on Monday's pod as well. Now, though, let's look at Gareth Southgate's England squad, which was announced this week. Eberichi Ezer is included for the first time. Are you surprised, Scott, that it's taken... Uh, this long to call him up, although actually Gareth's quite uh, honest in revealing that he tried to call him up once before, before the Euros, and he got mm. injured on the day that he uh, tried to call him up. Yeah, look, I, you know, again, going back to, I remember when the pandemic just happened and, and I was at Sky and was saying, right, different, find different ways of of doing little pods. And we, we said, let's do our team of the season. And I had um, Eze in there. And I was the only one, actually. But I've always loved his style. He kind of started off as a wide player, but looked much better, central. He's one of these, can you trust him? But actually, when you put in the middle, you can trust him. And to come back from that horrible Achilles injury he had as well, and to be still in this type of form, I think shows a real mental strength, uh, as well as a, a genetically, physically blessed, really, on top of the skills. And he seems mm. sounds like he's a really good lad. Am I surprised it's called earlier? No, but I think this is the perfect time for it. I really do. I actually don't think none of the big hitters should have been called up. I think this is the one opportunity. And it's very easy for me to sit here and say that because he would have get hammered if they didn't win both games. But this is the one opportunity after what's been an incredibly tough season to actually rest these players ahead of what is peaking for, for next summer. So with all the respects, yeah. Malta, North Macedonia, he, he will we've argue got enough that he needs to put points on the on the board ahead of trying to qualify for, for a European champion. He's done the hard so he games, Sam. He's done the hard possible. games. I think you'll find when it comes to the team itself, especially for the first game, that they'll probably rest one of the or two of the big hitters. I mean, Harry Maguire may well end up playing because he hasn't played that much football. But Lewis Dunk is going to be involved for the uh, first time in four years. Much deserved as well because he's played brilliantly over the course of the season at a club that's playing brilliant football. And in the end, it was almost impossible to ignore him, Crook. Yeah, well, you're preaching to the converted on this one because I remember we've had some heated debates about Lewis Dunk being omitted from squads in the past, so delighted for him. I think, actually, when I was speaking to him before the FA Cup semi-final, even he was starting to feel like his chance to get back in the squad had gone. What was it, five years ago that he won his only cap against the USA? But as you say, the fact he's been a key part of a Brighton side that finished sixth in the table when maybe other centre-back rivals haven't performed. I think Gareth Southgate simply had to call him up. I think uh, Jason Steele is a bit unlucky as well. You know, he's gone for Sam Johnston uh, with no Nick Pope in the squad. And I think if you look on recent form, if you look what Jason Steele has done under De Zerbe, the way that he plays out from the back, that's exactly what Gareth Southgate wants from a goalkeeper. So I think he's a bit unlucky as well. Yeah, I, I would go a bit further than that. Is I don't actually understand what Sam Johnston has done to get into the squad, whereas I could see a case for Jason Steele breaking into the squad because of the way he's performed with Brighton. 
Scott, can you understand that argument? I understand your argument. Absolutely. You know, and you think of Robert Sanchez was seen as like the ball playing goalkeeper. And yet he's been sort of dropped for Jason Steele, who's come in and done a superb job. And again, if you're looking towards the future, I mean, I don't I actually don't think I think I think Gareth Southgate in a way, and I think this is not a, not, not a particularly great thing to say. I think he's got to be selfish. He's got to think about I think it's his last tournament. So he's got to think about what is right for him for the Euro 24, not necessarily England going forward beyond that. Um, but I think I, I would have gone for Steele personally myself. He's not that kind of guy, though, is he? I mean, he thinks about England going forward. And, and one of the reasons he stayed after the European Championships because he couldn't see a, a path for somebody else to come and take on the group. And then it was too quick a turnaround for the World Cup. So he's very much all... Uh, in with England and actually do you know what it's interesting because um, I, I think he, he there's an argument to suggest that he might have left after the World Cup but I think he can see that there's a big opportunity for him to win the uh, European Championships in 2024 mm. with the crop of talent that England keep producing there's lots of players that you know are sticking their hand up and saying include me include me I mean there's no place in in the uh, um, the squad for pod favourite Morgan Gibbs-White um, Callum Wilson has got in over Ollie Watkins who didn't get in and Callum Wilson scored a stupid amount of goals recently which is great because for so long we've been talking about the fact that it's only Harry Kane it's only Harry Kane there's no backup to Harry Kane I mean Callum Wilson and Ollie Watkins have both scored a good number of goals in the Premier League this season and have been in great form that is good news obviously Race uh, James and Mason Mount left out because they're injured um, and both have had a surgery uh, Raheem Sterling has been left out because he had a conversation with Gareth Southgate uh, a couple of weeks ago in which he said to Gareth, look, I'm not up to the level that I need to be. I've got a bit of a niggle. I can't get my fitness right. Uh, and I just feel as if I'm not playing where I should be. So they sort of agreed not to, to take him on the journey. But it's a bit of a dangerous one, isn't it? Because if you're Raheem Sterling, listen, he's always going to go back to Raheem Sterling if Sterling is playing well. But it is a bit of a dangerous one for Raheem because... He had a very bad season this year. The move hasn't worked out particularly well for him. I think he's going to knuckle down. He'll work with Poch and it'll be okay next season. That's that's the hope, right? But ultimately, if things don't go well for him, he may well miss out on the on the England squad for the European Championships because others may just naturally overtake him. Yeah, it's a gamble from Raheem Sterling. But what we know is that he does love playing for his country. And when he had that incident during the World Cup, he still flew back to, to be a part of the uh, of the game against France. And he's only 28. You know, people keep saying to me, oh, Raheem Sterling's past it. He's 28. It just feels like he's been around forever. I think Pochettino will be the perfect man to get the best out of him. And I think he'll have a much better season next year. OK, uh, we mentioned uh, Mason Mount there. No place for him in the England squad. Three Premier League teams battling out for his signature. We'll discuss where he'll end up next. Well, the big story of the week, well, the big story for me of the week <laughs> um, is uh, the uh, situation with uh, uh, our good friend Mason Mount, who looks as if he's a target for Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United. Now, Crook and I have been talking about this for a long time. I told you the story about what happened about him going, basically, he was he was gone. It was finished. It was done. He was going to get to the end of the season. He was going to move. He, the, the people at Chelsea felt as if he was out the door. And then when Pochettino was appointed, there was the situation where they called him in after training, said, you know, the ownership want to talk to you. They wanted to try and give him a contract. But I think they left it too late. Now, immediately after that, Mason went and had an operation that he needed because he was struggling with a groin problem. Now, that issue obviously will be resolved by the summer now and he'll be ready to go at the beginning of, of the campaign. But I don't think they would have 
given him that operation if they weren't trying him. They would have given him the operation because they have to, but they wouldn't have given him the operation at that point in time if they weren't trying to get him to stay. That seemed to be the influence to me when they were trying to give him another contract, when they were trying to say to him, it's all going to be okay, we've got Potts, it's going to be brilliant, stay here, get yourself ready for next season. Um, but now that seems to have gone by the wayside and for whatever reason, and maybe his head was turned, maybe they treated him badly in the six months leading up to that emergency contract offer, but it seems too little too late, Crook. And as a result of that, it looks like he's going to leave. Yeah, and you've been saying this for a while, in all fairness. Um, it's, it's a strange one because clubs are falling over themselves to get homegrown players for their quota. Chelsea have got someone who's come through the system, clearly loves the club, but haven't done enough to try and keep him. And, and you look at the calibre of club who are in for him. You know, if he's good enough for Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United, surely he has to be good enough for Chelsea. So I think this could be a real own goal for Chelsea. Liverpool, I think, have been leading the charge for a long time, but they're not in the Champions League next season. That's opened the door for Arsenal and for United as well. And the, and the, the vibes coming out of the Mount Camp are that he's quite open to this move to Old Trafford. Eric Ten Hag has been a big admirer since he was on loan in Holland. And, you know, it's an itch that maybe Ten Hag wants to scratch. But as I say, I think it's a huge blow for Chelsea, particularly as Pochettino wants to keep him. What's worrying for Chelsea is that not only will Mason Mount leave, and what does that send to your academy graduates? What does it tell? What, what message does it give to, to those who are growing up in the academy? He's been there since he was seven years of age. He's been around the club for so long. He was the youth top cup winning captain. He was the sort of the poster boy for that incredibly amazing academy setup. And then you've got Conor Gallagher as well, who they're going to move on this summer. And Trevor Chalaber, who they're going to move on this summer. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who they're going to move on this summer. And all of a sudden, you've gone from a situation where you're, you've got a, a good crop of young players that represent Chelsea to now having a load of players that have been bought in by new owners, foreign imports on. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that if you're getting good quality players. But I do think it sends a message to those of your your, your younger players in the academy that actually there isn't going to be an opportunity for you at this football club. Because as soon as there's an opportunity to sell someone or if there's other players that can be bought in at a cheaper rate, then they'll move you on. It sort of feels as if they're sort of ripping the heart and soul out of the club. And I know that's probably a slightly biased scenario because... I don't want that to happen. But Scott, you were part of a group of young English players. You weren't brought through the academy, but there was a group of the lads that you were in the FA Cup final team with that did come through the Chelsea Academy. And that meant a lot to the club. That meant a lot to, to the supporters. That that, that, that group of Jody, uh, Jason was around just before that, you know, Frank Sinclair, Andy Myers, Eddie Newton all managed to lift a trophy in Chelsea Blue after coming through the ranks. No, no you're right, um, Sam. And the ideal scenario is to have a sprinkle, isn't it, of mainly your academy players and then a sprinkle world-class players. Look, the, the Chelsea of... I'll, I'll, I'll chuck in football club. Chelsea Football Club has gone on a little bit further from when I was there in the, in the mid-90s. And you have to be almost world-class to be involved. Look, I, I agree with, with Crookie 100% on Mason Mount. This is a kid who's come through the ranks and you've just explained all the situation, how, how much he means to Chelsea and Chelsea means to him. The problem for me that I, I don't really know what's going on. I don't understand why Chelsea can't get this done. Uh, apart from the fact that maybe what I've seen of them bringing in lots of players on seven and eight year contracts. Now that's going to take Mason Mount up to 30. So it's almost two contracts in one now. So he's got to make sure this particular contract that Chelsea want him to sign 
is absolutely spot on. And I think that whatever the owners want to do, if Mason Mount only wants a four-year contract, and I'm guessing here, if he only wants a four-year contract, give him a four-year contract. Quickly's talking about the quality of teams that are wanting him. This is not a downwards move. This is a, a sidewards move. So give him what he wants. It's as simple as that. Um, with the others, what I would say is, I think Conor Gallagher, I still don't yet know if he can be a Chelsea player. I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek has, has had enough time to see if he's going to be a Chelsea player. Um, but I, and I also don't think that Chelsea, the Todd Bowley and, and, and Clear Lake will go as big in the summer as they went last summer. So I think there will be a little bit of balance coming out here, but there's no doubt about it that the fans would love to see academy players coming through the ranks in the first team. But the ultimate thing, what they want to see is trophies. And that's what Poch has got to try and sort out. Well, I think the situation, Scott, is pretty simple. It was uh, that they didn't offer him the contract that he thought he deserved. There was a change of philosophy halfway through the season. They started talking about it and then the parameters seemed to change. Chelsea wanted to offer longer-term contracts, as you say, and this is his big contract, right? He's the poster boy for Pepsi. He's the poster boy for for Nike. He's he's, he's a brand's dream. He, you know, he, he sprays the odorant on himself in in TV adverts, and he wants to be valued as the commodity that he is. And also, he's a brilliant footballer. And if he's if, if you don't think he's a brilliant footballer, go and watch a football match in which he is playing, and actually just sit and watch him because a lot happens that you don't see on television that he does. And I think football people really appreciate Mason Mount. You speak to any football person, they really appreciate Mason Mount. And it's only people that that, that, that don't notice what he does that I think, and people don't like Chelsea and think he's, you know, he's a bit too slick and he's a bit too clean cut and all that kind of stuff. We'll, 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 we'll try and find a stick to beat him with. But some other teams are going to value him. Look at the teams that are coming in for him. Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool. You know, it's not West Ham and it's not Leicester and it's not it's not Bournemouth that are after him. With all due respect to those football clubs, this is Champions League chasing football teams that are in for this player. And there is a reason for that. Even title chasing teams are, are looking for him. Uh, he's a winner. He's got the assist in the Champions League final and... You know, that day will never be taken away from him, but it looks like he's going to be taken away from Stamford Bridge. Uh, we'll follow that with interest. Crookie's doing his transfer notebook every day from now on on the TalkSport website, TalkSport.com. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to review all the weekend's action. We will bring you reaction to the Championship Playoff Final. Commentary City against Luton is live and exclusive on TalkSport uh, with me, Adrian Durham, Dane Ashton and Ian Holloway. Looking forward to that. Uh, on Sunday, we've got Carlisle versus Stockport and then Leicester versus West Ham. And Leeds versus Spurs on Talk Sport 2 as we go round the grounds on the final day of the season. We'll be at every single match. Don't worry about that. I'll be whizzing around everywhere as we always do on the final day of the season. And we've got four more app-only games on the uh, Talk Sport app as well. So make sure you're with us uh, over the course of the weekend. Download our app. You can listen to this podcast, all the other podcasts, and you can listen to all the commentaries as well, plus the three big European finals which are on Talk Sport. That's it from us. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to Crookie. Uh, uh, we'll be back with you on Monday morning. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.